0: Hi everyone! Welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on?
1: It is uh, wonderful to be back among the the living and in the, the podcast world. My, my first as a married man, by the way. Oh,
0: hell yeah! I I, I didn't one, uh, I didn't realize it's been that long, and I also didn't realize the timeline. But yes, Matt is a. Uh... Matt is uh, a married man uh if you have met matt at any sort of football event it stands to reason that people have probably met uh met your wife she has joined you at uh plenty of football games over the years
1: definitely yeah we've uh actually her her this is gonna um endear her to many but her first um non- blue white penn state game was the 2016 ohio state game <laughs> and her second would have been the big Ten championship game that year so she uh she she brought uh quite a bit of good fortune with her.
0: Yes, and as usual uh uh she is a Michigan State Spartan. We tend to have uh better re- a better relationship with Michigan State than I think many other schools in the Big 10. So, shout out to Matt uh and the entire uh family up in lovely Michigan. Uh but Instead of talking about all the fun things going on in our personal lives, nobody wants to hear about the coronavirus test that I got today, we're going to be talking about recruiting, and specifically what's been going on uh, with recruiting for Penn State, because it's been a really, um, how do I say this, a strange uh, couple of weeks, strange couple of months, Matt, it feels like, and we'll get into this a little bit as the podcast goes along, but it feels like there's a a, um, a sense of anxiety uh, among Penn State fans with how things are going on the recruiting front. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think, um, and, and we'll get into the specifics why, but um, yeah, it's been, I mean, this is the understatement of the last six months, but it has been a very strange six months in in many facets of our lives. Um, and the recruiting world is, is certainly not immune to that, and um, we'll talk a little bit here coming up about why Penn State is more affected by that, I think, than some other programs, but it is, um, for for a program that seemed to have a, a ton of momentum uh, six and a half months ago, um, it kind of came to a grinding halt of late and um, in, in a, in a high-profile way, too, which I think is probably... Um, the, the most surprising is that, you know, the, the, some of the names we're going to talk about here, um, are, are apparently heading elsewhere when they sign in, in about three months.
0: Was I just muted for that entire, for, for, like yes, I, I stopped usual? talking okay.
1: and then, and then I heard nothing.
0: All right, well, I will decide after uh, this podcast is done whether or not I'm going to keep this in there, but it's going to be funny uh, if I do, so I'm probably going to end up doing that anyway, and also, I don't like working very hard. Neither here nor there. Uh, I think there's this sense among uh, football fans, and to an an extent among Penn State fans, that James Franklin is still... I don't know if calling him the recruiter-in-chief is necessarily a fair uh, assessment of the people who believe that Franklin's a recruiter first and a head coach second, but I still think that for as long as James Franklin is going to be a head football coach, Matt, people are going to say the expectation with him is always going to be, he is going to be someone who gets in talent because he is a record of success, largely a record of success. I mean, I think he'd probably be the first person to tell. to I mean, he, he was the first person to tell you. We'll mention this a little down the road that recruiting isn't up to par right now that he will always be, be someone who can get talent into a program and translate that into being able to win football games. And I think that's probably the reason above everything else. Why? You look at some of the talent in Penn State's class, you look at where it's ranked, and the ranking's not great, but there are good football players in it, and yet, despite that, it just doesn't really seem like uh, Penn State, at least when it comes to the class of 2021, has a ton of juice on the recruiting trail.
1: Yeah, and I think, um, to your, your larger point there about kind of the, the perception of James Franklin, I I think it's it's, Fair in the sense that he is certainly a high-profile recruiter, and I think that's—he'd make no bones about that. He has been since he was at Vanderbilt, and even as an assistant at Maryland before that. Um, but that's the the primary job of every college football coach. Um, you know, it's the the not as fun part of it for a lot of them. But I think I mean, you look at the the teams that are competing for t- for championships, either in a conference or national level, every year. They're the ones that recruit the best, as we talk about all the time. And so, every coach, regardless of, of their ability to to outscheme the other team, is in the college football world is a, is a recruiter first and foremost because that's that's the key to your success is getting good football players to come play for your team. Um, I think, and and I don't want to get too far ahead of what we're talking what we're going to be talking about in a little bit here. Penn State is uniquely impacted by. All of the restrictions that have been placed on recruiting in in the last six months for a variety of reasons, and that's not to to make excuses, but I think it's also the reality of of where they're at. And I think when you you contrast what's going on with the twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one class with the, the the early success in twenty twenty two, it's um, it's a little bit even more puzzling when you compare those two because they've certainly had some high profile success and, and appear to be continuing that in, in 2022, but they just, that didn't translate for one reason or another to 2021. And so it's, um, it's, it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird time to, to be following college football <laughs> recruiting. And it's just, um, I think it's kind of become the norm because of the, the, the restrictions on visits and things like that. Um, But I think, and I think if you got James Franklin and the staff in an honest moment, if you were to ask them if they were surprised by how quickly some of these kids started making decisions back in March and April, especially when things got shut down, they would probably admit to being a little surprised. So I don't know if it's a matter of, of being unprepared, which seems surprising given that you know, there's not a, a coaching staff in the, in the country that's probably as overly prepared as, as Penn State's staff is with, with all those details but at the same time i think in a an unprecedented situation i think you could probably make the case that they maybe weren't as um, they weren't expecting things to play out the way they did so quickly and were probably playing catch up to some degree while already playing catch up for for a number of other reasons like assistant coaching hires and things like that so before we get into the
0: stuff that i think everyone expects to hear on this podcast which is talking about um the the less-than-ideal stuff that has happened so far. The first thing, Matt, is before we get into any specifics uh, about specific names, about specific guys, about specific targets, all those sorts of things, I think the question is just where is everyone, Penn State's class, I, I think we all knew coming in, it was going to be a smaller class, but at the same time, they only have 13 players in it. Where are the potential names that Penn State – well, not only to say where are the potential names. Like, what's up? Like, why is this class so small in the big picture when we're talking about recruiting in in its totality and right now with 13 players signed?
1: So I think it's it's twofold and one is is pretty straightforward the this was always going to be a smaller class um, I think I've talked about it before where I think you can expect Penn State to sign around twenty five players every year um, just with transfers and and things like that um, this class was not going to be that way just by virtue of how some things shook out with with the numbers um, as players left and didn't leave and and whatnot um, so I think 20 was kind of the number that, that we were talking about amongst ourselves um, back in, if you want to say, we'll say February. And then I think what's compounded it is, um, and not this, this is going to be a common theme as we go through this, but the the COVID situation kept Penn state from going through a spring practice. I think they've got maybe one in, which wasn't even really, you know, that first spring practice is you know, pretty much a walkthrough based on what the NCAA allows. So, I think they were anticipating um, whether they would admit it or not, they were anticipating a number of transfers coming out of spring practice as the depth chart kind of sorted itself out and guys realized where they were um, from a playing time perspective going into, into the summer um, when you usually do see a number of guys opt to transfer because they um, they see the writing on the wall and they want to go somewhere where they're going to play um, by not having that spring practice. None of those players that were probably on the on the fence, whether they knew it or not, had you know went through that process to really see the reality. And then as time went on, you know, even if you were thinking about transferring, you're not going to be able to visit anywhere, so you're going to be relying on you know, the same thing that that high school recruits are relying on with Zoom meetings and, and virtual visits and things like that. So a, a small class that was limited just by the way the numbers shook out got even smaller because. Th- Penn State didn't lose as many guys to transfer. And even before that, I think there were a couple players where they probably expected them to, to turn pro. You look at a guy like Tariq Castro-Fields or Shaka Toney or, or some of the um, those borderline guys. Um, Will Fry is another guy, Mike, Michael Mennett. Um, guys that there was a thought could opt to enter the draft after last season, opted to stay. And then there's probably another half dozen or so players that would have been on the fence and looking at potentially transfer after spring football or even during spring football after the stay. And now you've got this whole quagmire of, uh, of the, you know, not losing a year of eligibility and, you know, adjusted rosters and kind of this, this unique season that's coming up um, that kind of from an eligibility standpoint, almost doesn't count if you want to think of it that way. So there's really no motivation to do that other than if a coach, are pushing, pushing players out. And I don't think that's necessarily James Franklin's M.O. I think um, those sorts of situations seem to sort themselves out rather than having to have a, a direct conversation. You know, it's obvious that, you know, in Tommy Steven's situation, we'll take that as an example, um, it was very obvious that he was going to have to compete for the starting job and he had one year of eligibility left and he just, it was from a, a personal standpoint for him and i and like we talked about back then it made a lot of sense go somewhere where you think you're going to have a better chance to to play and you're going to be the guy without a whole lot of question and that just wasn't the case at penn state that's the kind of that's kind of how i think the coaching staff handles depth chart situations you know you see as a player you see what the where you stand based on the number of reps you're getting and and who's ahead of you and who's you know getting getting more direct coaching and, and things like that um Without spring practice, that never happened. And so the spots they expected to open just aren't theirs. So um, a class where they were already being pretty careful with who they were um, open to taking got even tighter. And I'm sure that probably had an impact on on a few of these guys, probably not some of the bigger names that we're going to talk about in a little bit, but it certainly had an impact on probably how aggressive Penn State was with, with several players that um, they probably would have loved to have had, but just don't have the space right now and couldn't count on having the space going forward.
0: So, we, I, I, the good news is that there's, you know, it's not done and dusted. There's still plenty of time for Penn State to bring some talent into the fold. And I want to just look at who is on the horizon, Matt. And whether it's something like, you know, down the road on National Signing Day, Uh, whatever it might end up being, uh, or someone more immediate, like the guy who I just DM'd you about in our Slack, who is uh, going to be committing a little bit later this week.
1: I'm sorry. you, You cut out there for just a second on me.
0: Uh, the guy who I DM'd you in Slack, uh, who is going to be committing a little bit later this week.
1: Oh, oh, Diego Pounds. Yeah. Um. He's and specifically regarding him, he's he's an interesting case as far as um, kind of a late offer. He's a guy that they got on um, when Phil Troutline was hired. Is probably when it really took off. Um, doesn't have the the star power at this point of of you know Nolan Rucci, who we're we'll talking about in a little bit, or Tristan Lee, some of the bigger names that we we've talked about over the the previous months. Um, but a guy that a lot of big names, um, North Carolina, LSU, Penn State are probably the three finalists. Um, he's he's one of probably um, maybe three or four guys at this point that the in 2021 that the staff is really pursuing.
0: And then what about a little bit farther uh, down the road? Any other names that you think Penn State fans are uh, you know they they probably know them, but just worth keeping an eye on as we get into uh, whatever weird thing this season ends up looking like and approaching the early signing period and National Signing Day.
1: Well, the, the biggest name is, is the mo- biggest, uh, highest ranked uncommitted player in Pennsylvania, Derek Davis jr. From, from gateway, um, Penn state is, is a favorite on the crystal ball right now. Um, there's not really any timeline for him. He's one of those guys that's, um, highly sought after enough, um, that programs, you know, regardless of how many spots they have left are going to keep a spot open for him or, or find room for him, um, by all indications he's focusing on his season at this point and we'll circle back to recruiting. Um, my, my guess would be with official visits and in-person uh, contact shut down through at least, um, until at least January of, of next year, my guess is you'll probably see him make a decision sometime between now and, um, the early signing period in, in late January early December. Um, there that's probably the the biggest name left. Um, another name to keep an eye on is George Rooks from St. Peter's in New Jersey, defensive tackle. Um, he's released a top four that includes Penn state along with Michigan, who's probably the, the second favorite. Um, he's a guy that no one really seems to have a good read on. Um, the only, uh, the, the highest, uh, crystal ball ranking has Michigan, but it's a confidence level of four. So, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, no one really knows based on that. um, He's he's scheduled to announce sometime um, this season. I think it be sometime um, in October, if my memory's right, as far as his timeline. Um, but uh, he and Davis, and then and then Pound's announcing here in the next couple of days, are probably the names to keep an eye on. Um, there's a couple running backs that they're kind of um, you know keeping warm. If, if there's a spot, like a Travion Hargrove from Louisiana, who um, is really high in Penn State, decommitted from I believe Louisiana Tech. A few weeks ago, Amari Daniels, um, an all-purpose back from Miami. Got Juwan Siders really on. Um, Diego Pounds we talked about. And then I think the only other name that's really come up frequently, at least um, to some degree in the last couple months, as as na- guys have committed, is Clell Dinkins from North Allegheny, a tight end, um, who I know the staff is really high on. But um, with the limited numbers, it'll be interesting to see if Tight end is a spot that they even really look at based on, as we'll talk about here in a little bit, who they've got in the 2022 class and really what the depth chart looks like at that position right now. So there's not, from a 2021 perspective, at least right now, there's not really a whole lot left out there between guys that have committed and and the the spots that Penn State has left at this point. We're probably looking at a class of 15 to 16 players would be my guess just based on um, where the, the scholarship count shakes out at the moment.
0: All right, now what I want everyone to do is just sit down, unless you are driving. I want you to close your eyes, take a nice deep breath in, take a nice deep breath out. All right, we're now going to talk about Nolan Rucci and Julian Fleming. So, right now, the Penn State rec- the narrative that is around Penn State is that they're really struggling to land the kids in the state, uh, whether or not you want to talk about uh, Pennsylvania specifically or how James Franklin defines it as, you know, draw a circle within 250 miles, blah, 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 whatever it is, you look at what Penn State has done. The big misses in 2021, especially in state. So if you want Nolan Rucci, definitely. If you want to make a case for a guy like Kyle McCord, uh, Jeremiah Trotter committed early, Marvin Harrison Jr., Whatever with him, Elliot Donald, Elijah Judy, Donovan McMillan—those sorts of dudes are the kind of big names in state that Penn State has missed on. Then you go to uh, the wide receiver trio that it looked like they were going; they were in good positions on Dante Thornton, Juliel Veru, kid Prather. And then you look at that off of the heels of the 2019 class. I, mean, I have I jotted down Derek Wingo, former high four-star commit. Uh, who ended up flipping to stay a little bit closer to home and go to Florida. Obviously, the big one is Julian Fleming. Not quite in Penn State's backyard, but a very short drive in Catawissa, Pennsylvania. Ends up committing instead to Ohio State. Matt, the, the thing that I want to talk about here is whether or not you believe that this is a concerning trend. It is something worth keeping an eye on. Just what are your general thoughts over the fact that the narrative right now around Penn State seems to be that James Franklin, who is known for having that magic touch in recruiting, has seemed to have lost it to an extent over the last year or two. Even though, you know, the 2020 class was a, you know, a very solid class for Penn State. Uh
1: I certainly understand the the thought process, um, and this is maybe where I'm a little more optimistic than than you know some of the writers you read and, and things like that. But I I I think you almost kind of have to take it on a case by case basis. Certainly in Pennsylvania, um, the state has just been a you know, really until this class, which is a class that Penn State certainly had circled, and and we'll talk about in a minute. Um, with James Franklin talking about some of the disappointments in, in how they've recruited, um, but I think looking at it specifically in state to start, Julian Fleming certainly certainly is is the big name, and I don't think um, there's really any explanation beyond that. I think Penn State really hurt themselves with their on-field performance there, specifically on offense. Um, I think the the rotating cast at at wide receiver coach um, and the instability there certainly gave um, Ohio State an opening. And then you look at just the way Ohio State's uh, wide receivers especially have produced um, both in college and then in the NFL. Um, And having Brian Hartline coaching wide receivers is certainly a a, a feather in their cap. Um, But I think Penn State, for a guy that up until probably a month before he committed was thought to be in the driver's seat there, really was a a self-inflicted Uh, Wound there. Um, You look at the rest of 2020 in state, the next highest player behind Julian Fleming was Michael Carmody at 146, who ended up following his uh, basketball playing brother to Notre Dame. And then the next player after that is number 319, uh, Dan Hayes, uh, defensive end, who ended up at Pitt. Then Penn State got Zariah Fisher at number four uh, and uh, Tyler Elsden at five. But you know, but at that point, you're down into guys that are outside the top 500. And so I think 2020 and then even 2019 before that were so down in state. I think I saw a number um, shortly after the Rucci news um, a few weeks ago that Penn State, I think, only offered 12 players total in Pennsylvania in those two classes. And so it's really easy when you when you miss the big names in classes like that. It, it hurts even more. Um Looking ahead to this year, then, you know, Nolan Rucci is obviously the big name. Parents, uh, dad played football at Penn State. His mom was a field hockey player. Um, his parents, you know, as was widely reported, still have their Penn State football season tickets and, and Ted in games. He spent more time in state college than anywhere else. But I think, um, and and he kind of alluded to this in some of the interviews that he gave, I'm talking about Nolan Rucci, after he committed that um, his brother being at, at Wisconsin um, certainly played a part and to read a little bit into that I think the fact that his he and his family probably know the Wisconsin coaching staff much better um because of of uh, Hayden his older brother's uh relationship with them and having spent time on campus that this this whole COVID related shutdown have certainly played a part in um magnifying that comfort level with, with a coaching staff. Um, and he'd figure he had his brother home with him for several months too. Um, that's not to say that, that Penn state couldn't have done more. I think they did, but I think the circumstances kind of aligned perfectly wrong for, for Penn state, um, for a recruitment that up until March was really thought to be, um, Penn state and Clemson with Wisconsin kind of lurking on the outside changed very drastically. Um, after um, visits were shut down and and players were sent home from campus and things like that. Um, You know, Kyle McCord is a guy that Penn state certainly was high on. Um, There was um, some, some angst on his side, as far as the type of offense and how much Penn state ran the quarterback. You mentioned Jeremiah Trotter committed early. Um, Marvin Harrison jr. Is not really a kid that Penn state recruited all that hard. Um, Elliot Donald is um, cousin plays or uncle played at, uh, at Pitt, you know, kind of a built-in advantage there. Penn State certainly recruited him hard. I think that they would have had a shot if they could have gotten him on campus. Um, it, it certainly hurts, but I think it's... Um, it's not for lack of effort. I think it was... Um, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see how much James Franklin gets into this, how quickly they reacted to to this new world of recruiting and how... you know What they wish they would have done differently with these 2021 kids, especially... Um, when they weren't able to get them on campus. Like I said earlier, and this goes back to way before James Franklin, Penn State relies more on getting kids on campus than just about any other program in the country. Um, And I think it's magnified a little bit more now at the level Penn State wants to recruit at, where you have a lot of kids who, um, even if they're from the area, whether it's in Pennsylvania or, or, or regionally, don't necessarily realize what Penn State offers compared to an Ohio State or or Clemson or Alabama from a facility standpoint. Not that they're on those le- that level, but it's a lot closer than I think a lot of people realize. And I think you know, state college has the reputation, you know, going back to Terrell Pryor of being out in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, don't want to go to school in in the middle of the country. And if not for everyone, but I think you know, like any of us that that have gone there, you get there and, and plenty of people fall in love with it too. And you hear that from a lot of uh, recruits um, when they when they get on campus. Um, you're getting the feel for the town and, and and the kinds of things that that we all fell in love with when we took our visits there certainly resonates with with football recruits too. And I think that you know as we've all learned personally doing Zoom meetings and Facetimes and, and virtual get-togethers um, is isn't a substitute for getting together face-to-face. And I think for a coaching staff that excels so much on on building relationships and and selling the relationship and the family the family outlook and the family feel of the program it's really hard to get that f- without getting together in person um and then just you know the wide receivers you mentioned you know one more you know curveball that Penn State got thrown is they they replaced three three assistant coaches right at the time where you would normally start and be starting to get players on campus in, in January and then into February um, February is, is now a dead month there's no visits Penn State was planning to have a lot of these kids up for spring practice, which was supposed to start just a couple days after after the university shut down and and, and students were sent home. So um, a lot of things that that you don't really plan for, and I think but I think at the same time, there are there are things that, like I said, as you know, and that Penn State's learned from and James Franklin's learned from, as far as how you can recruit in this new world and how you can play up those things that are still really important, the, the family aspect, the the unique feel of the town, um, learning how to to get players to to get that feel, even though you're not getting on campus.
0: Yeah, and w- one thing that I've I've thought a lot about whenever recruiting comes to mind is that if you look at things individually, um, I think that. It doesn't seem like as big of a trend, right? So if you look at just Julian Fleming and you understand, you know, you're competing against Ohio state, the talent that they have, the stability uh, that they have with a really good recruiting wide receivers coach, you know, they had the transition to Ryan day, which went very, very smoothly. They win national, Nash- like you look at all the stuff that went in with Fleming. And despite the fact that Penn state losing him was a huge deal, you you still understand, even if they want him back, why he chose Ohio State. You look at a guy like Rucci, like you mentioned, Matt, from the he went he spent more time with Penn State than anywhere else, but Wisconsin had an extra recruiter at his dinner table every single night for about four months. And maybe you go back and maybe there's uh you, you know, maybe Penn State decides, oh hey, you know what, we should take Hayden Rucci secure the opportunity to get Nolan, blah, 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 maybe something like that. Who knows? I don't know. He ends up going. You look at the receivers, another receivers coach, you understand the relationship might not be there. Even if you look at a kid, you know, like Ruchi or like Tristan Lee or, you know, someone along the offensive line, they lose out on that. You'll get even a kid like Kevin Gilliam, you have John Scott getting in there trying to build up uh, a relationship now that Sean Spencer got like... Individually, everything makes some amount of sense. But when you view it on the aggregate, it looks like a much bigger problem that Penn State is facing. And that's something that I think that we got this... I don't want to call it necessarily a rare moment uh, because James Franklin is usually willing to uh, be forthcoming about stuff. But still, you normally don't hear college football coaches being asked about recruiting and saying, and this is a direct quote of uh, VR pal Greg Pickle over at PenLive, I want to be clear on this, that this class is not done, but up to this point, we haven't gotten it done. We have not recruited up to the standard that we normally have. And I don't know about you, Matt, but like with everything that we know about James Franklin, it's still really surprising to me that he would be that blunt about not getting the job done on the recruiting trail.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, first of all, I'm glad you, you gave the entire quote because it's been um, misrepresented is probably the kindest way to put it um, in various outlets as almost a a shot at the kids that have committed. It's it's obviously a hundred percent, 150%. About the kids that they wish they had in addition to the kids that have committed, um, you know, it's the Nolan Ruchis, it's the Caden Prathers, it's the Jalil Farouks, it's um, you know, I could go on and on with kids that they thought they were in really a good shape with that, that they would love to have added to a group that they're they're certainly really happy about. Um, but I think it's um, it's a rare moment of honesty. I think not that James Franklin's a dishonest guy, but I think it's a, a rare moment of probably. Honesty is probably not the right word, but of of kind of peeling away the curtain, I think, and getting a, a true getting getting away from the coach speak that I think you get from from him and, and and certainly lots of other coaches as well. Um and I think it's um probably one reflection of the comfort level he feels um with his performance, you know, certainly on the field, you know, the eleven wins in three of the last four years, etc., that we talk about all the time. Um I think it's 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 refreshing, I think, to hear some candidness like that. Um, and I think it's, it's an acknowledgment to a fan base that has certainly noticed and I think has certainly, um, you know, certainly in the last, you know, few weeks and few months um, has been kind of caught off guard by, you know, a coach that since he got here in 2014 has recruited very, very well. All of a sudden um, – Partially self-inflicted, partially not, um, not getting it done to the standard they expect. You know they've got they got 13 players that they're certainly very happy about having in the class, but they would like to have probably three or four more guys that we've talked about join those 13 um, to to make this a little bit more well-rounded class. I think that the 13 players they've got, if you look at you know um, the average ranking or average rating, excuse me, are. Very much on the level that Penn State's recruited at on the whole over the last several years. Um, there's just not enough of them, and I think that's um, that's really what he's getting at. But um, I I don't think there's a trend. I think um, you know, like I like I said earlier, it's you look at you kind of have to look at it on an individual basis. Um, it's, there's not one one thing that keeps going wrong. It's not um, you know, it's not that they're not getting you know not selling the right things about the program or it's not, they're not working hard enough. Um, each one of those situations is so unique that um, you cut you as a whole, it's, it's concerning, but on the individual level, it's not like there's one major thing that's gone wrong. It's kind of the death by a thousand paper cuts sort of thing. Um, and one more thing that I kind of thought of, as you were, you mentioned Ohio state there. Um, you know, one of the questions that I see get asked on Twitter and, and social media over the last you know few months is, you know, what, you know, COVID's impacted Penn State, you know, the lack of getting, taking visits has impacted Penn State. Why is it not impacting, you know, Ohio State, for example? Well, and, and you hit on a bunch of the reasons. Ohio State is, is immune to a lot of things because of the success they've had over the last, you know, 15 years, you know, let alone the last four or five where they've been at, at that elite level. They've been the national program in the Big Ten for a long, long time. And, you know, you think about, you know, Julian Fleming, for example, When he first started watching college football, we'll say when he was five or six years old, who was the big program in in the Big Ten and regionally? It was Ohio State. Um, And it's been that way for for a long time. And so I think that that insulates um, insulates them from a lot of the issues that that the Penn States of the world have had to deal with. Um, You know, you get that Ohio State offer you see enough other really good players going to Ohio state and you figure there's something they're doing something right. So even though I don't know everything about them and everything about the coaching staff, and maybe I haven't been on campus, you know, I I trust that they know what they're doing and they, and they've got the things that I I need um, just because all these other really good players um, are doing the same thing. So um, it's, it's going to be interesting and I think it will be, you know, we'll talk about 2022 here in a minute. Um, I think that is, will be the reason why, and we'll see going forward, hopefully too, why this is more of, of a, a temporary blip as opposed to a disturbing trend.
0: Yeah, I mean, on the Franklin quote, I think any college football coach, especially one who um, has ruffled some feathers to the way that James Franklin did his you know, early in his career, maybe not so much. Like Franklin, I do think that if there's one thing that you can say about him, it's that his demeanor has changed a bit uh, from the time that he's he was at Vanderbilt when you know he kind of needed to be a little bit more of uh, the plucky upstart firebrand kind of coach. And I think you know he's a, a bit more introspective now. It, it, it was very interesting seeing him kind of take the same. You Know it, it was kind of the same as uh, the post Ohio State uh, 2018 press conference where there's n- he's really good at knowing when to and when not to say a specific thing, but you know, every once in a while something gets really under his skin. And for, with how pencil, you know, a thing that I think needs to be mentioned this with how Pennsylvania has been down in recruiting over the last couple of years, this year was circled as a huge year for Franklin and for Penn state. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm glad he said he's not getting, they haven't been able to get the job done because I just, I like hearing that kind of honesty from my football coach, even if it's coming under less than great circumstances. And then just real quick, I decided uh, you, you had mentioned earlier how in 2020, the class in Pennsylvania wasn't particularly fantastic, so I decided to go back and look at 2019 as well. Number one player in PA, um, Andrew Christofik, uh, from Pine Rich- Richmond, and offensive tackle number 183. Then it was Keaton Ellis, who was the number 310 player in college football. One thing that I think helps Ohio State, Matt, you know, I'm not, not going to do a big rant into this and. I know you agree with it, is that Ohio State produces NFL-level talent, NFL potential talent every single year, so they're always going to have that to fall back on, and they're always going to have kids competing for those spots, wanting to get in uh, Iron Sharpens Iron, that sort of thing, with the kids that are layups for them every single year, or could be layups for them every single year. Pennsylvania doesn't have that. And I think that we saw, we have seen with the twenty twenty one class, some of the ways that can really, really hurt a school that prides itself on winning in its own state. Because at a certain point, the vultures start coming, and you have to start fending off the Ohio State, you have to start fending off the Clemson's, uh, those sorts of programs. But the good news is that even in spite of all of this, Matt, even though. Um, Our beloved alma mater is uh, down on its luck in the world of recruiting right now. I kind of hate taking this uh, this approach to it because this is a you know we're at a point where I think everyone rightly wants Penn State to be in the among the cream of the crop in college football right now. It's a very deserved thing that fans are going to want that. With the twenty twenty two class base you, you know there it, it's still early there are six kids in the class, but based on average rating on twenty four seven this is shaping up to be the best class that James Franklin has had at Penn State is currently number three nationally again it's early uh teams aren't exactly w- loaded up with talent Penn State is uh You know, when you look at the number of commits, it's LSU with seven and then Penn State and Ohio State with six. And then a bunch of schools have three and two and that sort of thing. But Penn State's shot out of the gate really, really well in the class of 2022, Matt. And the thing is, I look down, you know, we'll just do a very general thing before we start talking a little bit more about uh, the offense and the defense. The general thing is that in years past, whenever we have done podcasts, talking about the kids who are coming in to build a floor at Penn State. It's always been about these kids who are ranked, you know, top 350, top 400. They're talented, but they're flawed. Uh, They could be uh, potentially good players, but we'll have to see what they end up being. You look at what they got coming in in this class, and they currently have – one. Five, play, five of the six players are top 250 recruits. Uh, the only one who isn't is Bo Prabula, a quarterback from Pennsylvania. If this is the, floor, the sort of floor they're setting, uh, not even necessarily just on the whole, but if this is, these are the kind of kids who are going to come in and help build a foundation for this program, they're going to be building one hell of a foundation, because this is a really, really talented group that has the potential to get a lot better.
1: Oh, absolutely. And we'll talk a little bit once we get through the the six kids that are committed about some of the guys to keep an eye on going forward. Um, and obviously, you know, disclaimer early on that, that you're going to have um, a level of, uh, you know, things are going to change and, and certainly probably more than we're used to it going forward, just because you've got Um, you know, kids are going to be able to start taking visits here at some point in, in 2021. We don't know exactly when, but that's going to happen at some point. And, you know, as kids get out and see more places and are able to interact face to face, um, you know, they, they, relationships evolve and change and, um, you know, coaches get more film and guys, you know, plateau and other guys get better and, and, and all those things will, will slowly become more of a normal recruiting cycle, um, at some point in the next 12 to 15 months, ideally, um. But like you said, the 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 uh, floor of the class right now is a a high three-star quarterback that I know Penn State's really really high on. Um, was really impressive. Um, we actually have it on the site today in our for the future post. Um, some highlights from Bo Perrella's season debut for for Central York. Um, he's he's doesn't he's not the biggest kid. He's not doesn't have the strongest arm, but um, you just watch him play and he 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 looks like a player. Um. And he's probably not. He's not going to light up the the camp circuit or anything like that. But um, you know, there's a reason with some of the other quarterbacks that Penn State's been on early in this class. Where there's a reason why they were more than comfortable taking his commitment at such an early point. They they really really like him. Um, they've got a pair of tight ends, um, vastly different kinds of players. Um, Bill, I think I used the the analogy with you. Um, when when the second of the two Holden stays from Georgia committed, this is kind of like a Pat Fryermuth, Zach Coons sort of uh, class where you've got Holden stays who's really that that traditional hand in the dirt tight end certainly athletic certainly can catch a football, um, but a little bit more in the Pat Fryermuth mold where Jerry Cross is a six six kid who's um, probably physically a little bit further along than where Coons was at the same point, but that that matchup nightmare um from an athleticism standpoint still has to evolve into be more of a, a, a complete tight end but um brings a lot of things to the table there um and then you just go on from there i'm just to for a minute so hang on just a second okay i'm back i think i muted that in time <laughs> i promise it's not the code i just need to take my legger for the day um and then um one of the things that um, has really stuck out to me early too is, is the skill level they're, they're recruiting, both with those two tight ends, the quarterback, and then a kid that I absolutely love from Westerville South High School, just outside Columbus, which is a school that I'm sure some Nittany Lion fans are familiar. That's where uh, Kajana Carter played his high school football. Um, Caden Saunders, who is is KJ Hamler. You know, if, if you're looking for a true comparative. A little bit bigger, but that kind of electrifying playmaker, you get the ball in his hands and he's just, um, you know, has the, the potential to take it to the to the end zone every time he touches the ball. Um, had another really solid debut a couple of weeks ago um, in his first game of the season. Um, then just real quick, standing on the offensive side of the ball with Drew Shelton, um, the fourth-ranked player in Pennsylvania, the 13th-ranked offensive tackle. Um, this is the kind of kid that, um, that you kind of have to get, um, you know, excuses or not, he's he's the kind of guy in state that that you build programs around, you know, an elite level tackle that um that you identified early on as being one of your primary targets. Um he's you know, he's only a high school junior, so he's you know, you know, not not the biggest kid yet, but just, you know, oozes potential and um like we talked about when he was hired Phil Troutline, um really a guy that um you kinda of leave the offensive line recruiting in his hands because he knows what he's looking for. And then when he gets him on campus, he knows what to do with him there too. And then um, you know, five of the six players that are committed at this point are are on the offensive side. And then Ken Talley, the most recent commit, um, just about two weeks ago from Northeast High School in Philadelphia, um, kind of a hybrid outside linebacker, defensive end. Um, another guy that Penn State's really excited to have on board, the seventh ranked commit in or seventh ranked player in the state at this point um deon barnes who joined the staff as a graduate assistant was really instrumental um back at his, his old alma mater um, and also a place where he coached before coming to penn state um was really instrumental in getting ken talley to join the class but um, again the, the kind of guy that when you've got a, a top 150 top 160 player in the state um at a position where you you're expecting to do big things um in the 2022 class the kind of guy that that you need to get and um for one reason or another, they've they've figured out how to get the they've they've figured out the message for these 2022 kids, um, even though they're under the same limitations that the 2021 kids are. And whether it's just you know having you know more of an established relationship with them with some of these new assistant coaches or um, you know fine tuning you know what the way they're, re- they're s- selling the program right now um, without getting these kids on campus, um, something is clearly working because you know not only do they have these six guys committed, but there's a number of guys. Um, both in state and out of state, that they're really um, have done an outstanding job with um, early on in the twenty twenty two class.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because like something that I feel like we never uh, factor in to recruiting when we talk about oh, they're messaging, got to get them on campus, blah 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 blah. Is that at the end of the day, a kid actually has to want to go to a school. You know what I mean? Like you, you can do everything right with um you know, with any recruit, but if ultimately they decide, you know, I just don't want to go there, that's a variable that you really can't do anything about. And meanwhile, in this class, uh, you have a kid like Jerry cross who wanted to go to Penn state so bad that it, you know, it seemed like he actually caught Penn state off guard with when he decided he, uh, originally wanted to commit. And now you look at the talent that they have, this is something, Matt, that you kind of mentioned with Ohio State, and you know, hopefully it leads to a similar um, phenomenon with Penn State, but if you're a kid in, who is around looking at Penn State, looking at a few other schools, and you see the level of talent that Penn State has brought in, you know, if you're a wide receiver, or you're... Yeah, if you're a wide receiver and you want to be able to catch passes, knowing that you're going to have a pair of really good tight ends to take attention away from you, I have to imagine that's going to help. If you're a running back and you're going to be running behind uh, an offensive line that has a guy like Drew Shelton on it, I imagine that's going to help. Ken Talley is going to be able to get the quarterbacks. Like, this class is just setting Penn State up to... You know, I just mentioned this phrase with Ohio State, iron sharpens iron. There's a lot of iron sharpen, iron, iron sharpens iron potential in this Penn State class. And the thing about it, Matt, is that, one, they're recruiting Pennsylvania pretty well. Uh, Drew Shelton, Ken Talley, uh, Bo Prabula, all top 12 kids. There are a number of other players uh, in the Commonwealth who have been rumored to be you know, have, at the very least, have an eye on Penn State as a school that they'd really strongly consider, uh, let alone there are a few other kids who seem like Penn State is the front runner in their recruitment. And then even outside of Pennsylvania, there are some other kids that uh, it seems like Penn State has piqued the interest of. What I'd like for you to do If you just want to rattle off a couple of your favorite, maybe four or five of your favorite remaining targets, whether they be in Pennsylvania or whether they be more national kids, who are the guys that you think, if, you know, as you're sitting here on September, uh, you know, the 21st night of September, 2020, and you're looking around college, uh, high school football, who are the kids that you're going, man, you know what? Not only do I think Penn State can get them, but if Penn State does get them, that is a huge, huge, huge boost for what James Franklin is trying to build in State College.
1: Yeah, I'll, I guess I'll break it down kind of in-state and out-of-state, because so I think um, Pennsylvania in 2022 is as deep as it's been in a long, long time. Um, you know, As good as the 2021 classes, I think this 2022 group is probably a hair deeper, Um. So we'll start there real quick just because I think one of the, the biggest name that I think a lot of people already know, you know Eni White from Emotap in Philly. Um, five star defensive end. Um Penn State is certainly in a good spot, but I don't think it's he's not a kid that you say that you know, this this isn't a Julian Fleming situation, for example, where you know, we sit here fifteen months before he signs saying that Penn State is in the driver's seat. Penn State's in a good spot, but he's a kid that's been recruited by anyone and everyone. Um and is certainly going to, to go through the process. Um, so he, he's a kid that I think um, – again, he's the kind of kid that you, you have to get because he's in-state, um, but it's it's not a, a Julian Fleming or Nolan Rucci situation where you feel like this far out, Penn State has really positioned themselves as the top dog. They, they are a top dog, but I don't think they are definitively the guy for Eni White. Um, Keenan Nelson, uh, St. Joe's Prep, same high school as um, – Excuse me, as uh, John Reed, um, really highly regarded top 100 cornerback. Um, not really a guy that I know a whole lot about as far as um, where he's looking, but I know um, Penn State certainly on you know high on him. Um, he did, did an interview with uh, Ryan Steyer BWI in the last couple of weeks. Um, that uh, if you have a subscription there, go check out cause it really sheds some light on on where he's at the moment. Um, Nicholas Singleton is probably the the guy they're in the best shape with. Um, in the top three, um, as far as uncommitted players, he's listed as a running back, but I know Penn State is intrigued by the idea of him as a linebacker, um, or, or kind of just an, an athlete. Um, and I think part of that is because of the way Penn State's recruited running back nationally, um, really over the last several years, that um, they certainly want to get Singleton, but they don't want to limit, you know, his his uh, the spot that is there for him. Just because um, of some of the guys they're on nationally at the running back level. Um, we talked about Drew Shelton. Um, McKee Flowers from Steelton, same high school as uh, um, just blanked on his name, former defensive tackle. Jordan played for the Seahawks. Bill helped me out here. Hill. Jordan Hill, yeah, um, is a Steelton alum at High Spire. Um, Flowers is listed as a wide receiver. Um, he is a, a definitive athlete, and I think he's really open to the idea of playing just about anywhere. But again, another top 150 kid. Um, Anthony Johnson from Philly, an inside linebacker that, um, again, not a guy I know a whole lot about, but again, you know, he's a top you know, borderline 150 player in the state that um, they're really high on that I know they're going to pursue heavily. Anthony Ivey, Ken um, Talley's number seven. Anthony Ivey's number eight. Um, he's probably the last of the, the you know, true elite group in state. Um, he, I believe, is scheduled to make an announcement sometime in November, about his commitment. I think Penn State's in a really good spot there. Um, But obviously, you know, especially with teams getting back on the field, I think plenty could change there potentially. And then there's a bit of a drop off. Those eight players are the top 178 um, on, on the two, on the composite score. Then you've got um, Samuel Brown, um, who I think is a really solid player. I think he's probably, um, Penn State would love to have him, but again, at running back, um, you know, they're, they're recruiting that position differently than some other spots in the field. So, um, it, he's a guy that I think, um, keep an eye on, but I'm not sure ultimately when it's said, and done, there's a spot for him. Um, Abdul Carter, a, a guy, the guy from LaSalle college, a teammate of Brown, um, an outside linebacker too, that I think, um, Penn state's going big fish hunting there. So we'll see how things shake out with him. Um, and then to go, um, out of state, I'm going to kind of cherry pick here. There's some guys that Penn state has offers into, um, the one that I'm thinking of in particular is the number four player nationally, Shamar Stewart, a defensive end from, uh, Opeloka, Florida. Um, certainly a guy that Penn State is going to do everything they can to get on campus, but um, feels more like wishful thinking at this point than, than something that that really could happen. But but we'll see as, as visits resume. Um, the first player that I think is a truly legit option is Will Johnson, who's a top 10 national player, one of the top cornerbacks in the country from Grosse Pointe, uh, just down the road for me practically. Um, the way Penn State's recruited the Detroit area has certainly um, gotten his attention. Um, that's going to be a Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame kind of battle for him. Um, Sean Murphy, five-star linebacker from Virginia, is a kid that they're going to go really hard after, um, that I think they have, feel like they've got a good shot at. Um, I'm going to list a few guys here at offensive tackle, um, an offensive line that I think they're really high on. Um, Gunnar Gibbons just released his top 12. He's uh, the number one offensive tackle in the country, five-star player from Virginia, um, that uh the trout wine hires really got his attention, and then Zach Royce, another five star the number two offensive tackle who's from down the road from him in Lynchburg, Virginia um are probably the two big names um, left with drew Shelton on board along the offensive line to keep an eye on um, back up here a little bit I mentioned in the in the, eh, in I White in Pennsylvania um a guy who I think might be um, just a hair behind him at the most is Danny Dennis Sutton from McDonough school in Maryland, a place that uh, I'm sure most Penn state fans are familiar with uh, PJ Mustafer, Curtis Jacobs and Devon Ellie's uh, coming from that program to, to state college in the last few years. Um, he's the number 50 player overall, the number three uh, strong side defensive end. Um, I think um, you know, Maryland's not playing right at the moment um, high school football, but he's a guy between now and when he signs, I think can really blow up. He's just, um, you know, a really really good player that I think even being ranked fiftieth uh, overall feels a little underrated. Um, but but we'll see how that goes. And that's certainly a guy that Penn State feels like they're in a really good spot with, um, given their their history at at McDonough School. Um, Tevin White at running back is pr- is probably the highest ranked running back that they're they're off they're in on at the moment. Um, he's just one of a few though. Um, so scroll down here and find a couple other names at that position that I think are worth keeping an eye on. Um, bear with me here for just a second. Um, there's Arlen Harrison, Missouri. They've offered a lot of running backs that I think are, um, it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. There's a kid, Dylan Tatum at, uh, West Bloomfield, which is Lance Dixon's alma mater, um, that they're really high on. Um, he's the, he's, kind of following up uh, Donovan Edwards, who's uh, an elite level running back at that same program this year. Um, So it's, there's, there's a deep pool of talent and a lot of it is regional. A lot of it is at positions where I think Penn state set up to recruit really well. Um, Offensive line, especially I think is a place to really keep your eye on in, in 2022, especially, but even 2023, they really got off to a good spot there as far as um, elite players. And it's, and it's a position that's really strong, in, in the natural recruiting region for Penn State.
0: Yeah, and the fun thing about that is that for all the names that Matt just listed off, other than uh, oh God, I, other than Arlen Harris, everyone is in the top 200 of recruits. So Penn State is legitimately... I feel like we say this uh, every recruiting cycle, but it's more so true than ever, in large part because of the strength in Pennsylvania uh, as a uh, recruit... Uh, one of the recruiting hotbeds this time around Penn State's legitimately going hunting for big name talent and there are reasons to believe that at the very least Penn State's going to get their hands on a few of them we'll end up see what's ha- what's going to happen there's a lot of time ahead of us uh and I think we should you know despite the fact that we've uh we're, we're on a pretty lengthy podcast this time around we're going to end with a few reader questions first one Matt from Alexander Grant uh will our 2021 class hurt 2022 despite its early success uh, to which I'd, I would almost certainly say no it's not uh, you know if Penn State has a uh, super mega wretched year on the fil- field which I don't think is going to happen maybe that ends up hurting it instead but I would be shocked if any of these kids look at Penn State in a few months ago oh wow they have the number You know, throw a number out only in the number twenty three recruiting class in the country i'm going to go somewhere else
1: yeah, I think if anything it might you know, if this isn't a, 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 an indictment of the twenty twenty one class but I think if anything the smaller numbers could help twenty twenty two just from an an overall ranking standpoint if you're if you want to look at it at it that um, you know quantitatively where they're going to have more spots and I think um, you know to to go off topic just for a second because I think it's something worth mentioning. That if there was a year to have a small class, this is kind of becoming it because of the way the eligibility clocks are, are essentially paused until until next fall, with this season you know really not counting as as a year of eligibility for any player. Um, I think both those things ultimately benefit Penn State in twenty twenty two. Moving on,
0: uh, next question uh, from our pal Ankeet uh this is something that i will take direct two questions i'm going to uh, take directly so matt if you would like to take a sip of water or something by all means this is the time to do it what is the best way to prepare eggs for a breakfast sandwich served on a bagel of course because they are excellent a uh m- that for uh long fans of the show that is a knock against the other matt who thinks bagels are bad uh, the best way to prepare them in my opinion is over hard um I, I just prefer that way. And the Devon, if Micah Par- or Pal Devin, if Micah Parsons were in his eastbound and down jiff, which one would he be? He would very obviously be the one of Kenny Powers while fireworks are shooting off, because that is Micah Parsons' entire aesthetic. Matt, if there is anything, anything at all that you would like to add to either of those, God bless you. Uh, if not, you are probably a more sane person than I am.
1: What when I'll at least say when it comes to food, I will almost always defer to your expertise in that area, especially when it comes to breakfast sandwiches.
0: There we go. Uh, moving on uh to a question from Brando P. Hi blog, are we satisfied with basketball recruiting and is it good enough to be relevant in the big ten? Isn't that a isn't that a fun question? Uh Matt, I've this year's uh the twenty twenty one Penn State recruiting class uh, currently has three players. Elijah Hutchins-Everett from Putnam, Connecticut, the number 201 player nationally. Houston Mallett, uh combo guard from Pacifica Christian in Newport Beach, California, number 204 player nationally. Taquan Woodley, a power forward from Camden, New Jersey. And then moving on to 2022, the only player committed is uh, Sonny Johnson from Cleveland, Ohio, number 170 nationally. Uh, Penn state basketball is, uh, uh, in a bit of a, I don't want to say a weird spot going forward. Uh, it's Penn state basketball. So there's always going to be a bit of an expectation that comes with, uh, how things are going to go. Uh, I think we all agree it is a cursed program, as evidenced by the fact that uh, it was about to break a decade-long NCAA tournament drought, and then a a global pandemic happened. Uh, But I think that the entire thing with Penn State basketball is that, despite the fact that they lost Lamar Stevens, or they're going to end up losing Lamar Stevens, and they're going to end up losing Mike Watkins... There is a core in place, a a pretty solid core, uh, I would argue, Uh, Myron Jones, Isaiah Brockington, Miles Dredd, um, particularly Seth Lundy, who I think is going to make a big step forward this year, and then John Hara, mixed with a bunch of guys who aren't particularly huge names coming in in this class, you know, uh, Dalian Johnson uh, and DJ Gordon are kind of the quote-unquote headliners there, but I think that The thing with this Penn State basketball team over the next couple of years is that one, Pat's got some really talented guards coming in, uh, in addition to a group of really talented guards right now. And as I look at them, I'll be honest, I've been uh, between the nine to five, between uh, everything that is kind of going on in the world right now college basketball has been one of the farthest things from my mind, but I think that as long as we see kind of steps forward from guys like Myron Jones and from guys like Seth Lundy, and they kind of shepherd in these younger players that they're going to have coming in over the next couple of years. I think that they will be, I think that they'll be fine. Whether that's NCAA tournament caliber, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to do a basketball pod one of these days, but at the very least Taylor battle is back, Matt. And that makes me very happy.
1: As, as a long time fan, maybe the longest time fan of the, of the Penn state basketball program on staff, going back to, to my freshman year in in 2001, which was to be quite honest, the worst possible time to become a fan of the program immediately after the sweet 16 run, um, I think things seem fine, but like you said, it's you know Penn State's going to, from a basketball perspective, going to have to make a living on the recruiting trail for the most part with finding some under the radar guys. It's going to be the rare situation where you can get you know a Tony Carr and Lamar Stevens because they're high school teammates at a program that that kind of feeds Penn State. You know, two elite level players out of high school. Um, you know, they got Josh Reeves the year before that. Um, I think that just by, especially in the last two to three classes, they've done a pretty good job of identifying guys like that. You know, we think of a Myron Jones, um, or Miles Dredd guys that, um, have proven to be very effective big 10 players that, um, weren't necessarily the most highly regarded. Um, you know, time will tell. Um, you know, I think like you said, this is a curse program that, um, you know, had an opportunity to make quite a bit of noise six months ago before it was taken away from him. So, um, I, I will say this, I will be very interested to see what this team looks like here in a couple months when, when games hopefully start.
0: The, the moral of the story is that it's Penn state basketball. So whatever, man, just whatever. Uh, moving on to our final two questions. First one from Penn 25. What are your thoughts on the tight end position, I I, I don't know if this is uh, with recruiting or if this is with uh, the current team. I, I and mean, we've done plenty of touching on uh, what the group is in recruiting, and you know, you meant we mentioned particularly in the twenty twenty two class, Jerry Cross and Holden Stays are a pair in- pair of guys who have the potential to be really, really talented football players. But when it comes to what the room is going to look like for the 2020 season, Matt, this, (sighs) God, I don't know if I want to say this because the running backs are really good.
1: This might be the most talented room on the offensive side of the football. I would, I think, agree with that. Um, Back to the, the original question that you had about the question, my thoughts on the tight end position in recruiting are it is very good. And in the current roster is also very good. So, um, no, I think, um, obviously we're thrilled that Pat Firemuth is back and is going to play at least one more season for Penn state. Um, after the rumors of him opting out uh, before, you know, everything that happened in the last seven days or so, um, but I think had he opted to to opt out, or even if he had opted to declare for the NFL draft after last season, like he would have been able to, that um, the 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 position was in very good hands. There certainly would have been a drop off, but um, I don't think it would. No position is in a, is in a great spot to lose the uh, arguably the best player in his country at his at his position and and not miss a beat. But I think it would have missed a very. You know, relatively speaking, a pretty small beat without him. With guys like Brenton Strange and Zach Coons, uh, Theo Johnson are probably your your top three going into the season right now at tight end. Um, and then you're, you know, we like we talked about the two guys that they're are adding um, at this point in the 2022 class. Um, no, it's it's if it's not running back, it's it's the tight end is the most talented spot on the offense. Um, and I I'm I'm fascinated to see how this works out in the new offense just because. We heard a little bit about when he was hired that Kirk Sciarocca doesn't use the tight end and, you know, what's he going to do with the Pat Fryer moves and Zach Coonses and Bretton Stranges uh, that are on the roster. Yeah. You know, how, how does he do this when he doesn't really have a much of a history of, of, using the tight end position? Um, I'm fascinated to see how he does. Cause I think, you know, one of the reasons he didn't use the tight end spot to the level that we're used to at Penn state in the last four years is because he hasn't had guys like this. So, um, I'm curious to see because of some of the potential perceived weaknesses at, at wide receiver you know do we see more two tight ends do we see, you know how how does he integrate the talent of that position into the type of offense that he wants to run so that's that that is not necessarily the answer to the question but the, the tight end position is good
0: yeah i it's actually very funny what you just said matt about how uh about losing the best player in the country and at their position and not missing a beat because of the talent behind them. Uh, in large part, because you're correct about the tight ends, but the other position th- there is literally another position on Penn state's roster where that is the case. And it looks like, uh, despite, you know, some nudges and some winks that is going to continue to be the case at linebacker, uh, with Micah Parsons, where Penn state lost, uh, Legit, you know, you can make some arguments for other guys for being the best tight end in college football. It's really hard to make an argument that anyone other than Micah Parsons is the best tight end in college football. And yet that room is just stacked with talent. So it's a a, it's something that I've certainly thought of over the last couple of uh, weeks, months uh, heading into this season about how, you know, Penn State has they can kind of absorb those blows but it's uh it, oh yeah for yeah, sure it's, it, 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 it's a little funny how it's coming to fruition at one position and not the other
1: yeah well I, just to add to that real quickly before we get to the last question no, sorry here.
0: sorry maybe uh it's coming to fruition at one position i you know i don't want to shut the door i don't want to get yelled at for that so there we go N-
1: nudge nudge wink wink right
0: yes exactly
1: <laughs> um no i i i think you know you, what Penn State's gonna end up doing at, at linebacker is you're gonna have um, Jesse Lukita, Ellis Brown, and probably Brandon Smith are taking over Ellis for Brooks. him for you know at at all three linebacker spots, um, with all three starters from last year. Two of them certainly gone, a third seemingly seemingly gone oh. with Micah Parsons. And you're plugging them in with uh, four star, four star and uh high five-star in Brandon Smith backing them up with five-star Curtis Jacobs and five-star Lance Dixon uh, among others. So um, certainly you, there's no, there's no direct replacement for the best player at his position in, at linebacker in Micah Parsons. But um, if if you were going to have to replace a guy like that, um, those are some pretty good guys to try to replace him with.
0: Then the last question from Cody Smeltz, uh, two-parter, uh, first one, do you think that there would have been a mass exodus of recruits that the Big Ten didn't play this season and other conferences did? Second one, do you think the Pac-12 will end up playing this fall? Seems like this could set small conferences back years in terms of competitiveness. Um, I, I think that a mass exodus of recruits would have hurt schools down the Big Ten pipeline more than it would have hurt a – an Ohio State, a Penn State, a Michigan, a Wisconsin, because I think those schools are probably, their infrastructures are better when it comes to being able to get kids to commit and get kids to stay. And then, yeah, like I I think at this point with how much money is involved, the Pac-12 is going to absolutely end up playing at one point or another. Matt, what do you think?
1: I'm I'm going to go backwards in this because I think small conferences. You know, were talking about. I assume you know, the other Max, the um, Sun Belts, the the Mountain Wests, the WACs of the world. I guess the WAC doesn't play football anymore, do they? They they eliminated it or something. Anyway, um, the, the the terms of competitiveness for those leagues has been getting smaller and smaller, and they're, and they're getting further and further behind just by the way college football is set up. Um, and it's, you know, not to go off topic, but it's, it's why there's going to be at some point, sooner or later, some sort of split between the, the, the major programs and the, the non-major conferences. But um, I think the Pac-12 is going to play. You know, it seems like it's only a matter of time at this point. Um, I think the only reason they haven't announced yet is they have, um, especially in California and, and then locally with a number of their schools in California, they have some um, political things to get past as far as different restrictions that the states and um, local governments have put in place as far as gathering sizes and things like that they're working through that so i think it's only a matter of time um and then you that doesn't mean factor in the obviously the horrible wildfire situation out um really all over the west coast that um is impacting those programs too just from a you know a, an air quality standpoint and things like that um lastly from a From a mass exodus standpoint, I don't think you would have seen it from a recruiting perspective um, just because if you look at most classes, you know, where are they going to go unless, you know, other programs start cutting guys loose, which I, you know, happens every year, but I don't think it would have happened to the level where you would have had all of a sudden a bunch of spots open up at, you know, in in the SEC and guys from the Big Ten all of a sudden looking to go there because they played this year. I think what you would have seen would have been um, a number of guys looking into the transfer portal. Um, but again, that even that 's difficult because you know are, are there spots for them places so I think it was one of those things that in theory you know is in a, certainly something that I know the coaching uh group around the big Ten was concerned with, but i don 't think in practicality it was the kind of thing that you were going to see. It certainly would have had an impact on some players, but i don 't think it would have been uh you know a mass exodus or you know tons and tons of big names all of a sudden looking to to either Commit elsewhere, or, or in the case of current players, transfer elsewhere.
0: I think that's it. Uh, th- we we went very, very long on this one. Any any final things to add, Matt?
1: I'm going to go take a drink of water. My voice is very raspy. I haven't talked talked about football that much for months. It feels good. Yes,
0: certainly uh, we are glad that we were able uh, to take some time to talk about football, and we hope uh, you all enjoyed it. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you read and support the site. Best way to do that is to buy some T-shirts. Make sure you're following us on all our social media channels, and make sure you're subscribing to the podcast, and Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you might use. And if you use Apple, please head over there. Give us a five-star review, if, if you'd like, and even if you wouldn't like it. Would, you know, do me a solid one time. Uh, make sure you're wearing a mask. Make sure you're keeping your distance. Make sure you're washing your hands. Make sure you're doing all that stuff. And one last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. From my co-host, Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.